Hey guys, want to save an easy 10% at Shotgun House Coffee Roasters? Simply show up to either location and show your barista that you've subscribed to the podcast and left a five-star rating and you'll get 10% off your entire order. Building Something Out of Nothing is brought to you by Geekdom. Geekdom is the largest co-working space in the city with the focus of building downtown San Antonio one startup at a time. Visit geekdom.com today to schedule a free tour. What's up, guys? This is Eddie Laughlin, co-founder of Shotgun House Coffee Roasters, and you're listening to Building Something Out of Nothing, a small business podcast right here in San Antonio. Today's guest is Ken Schiller, co-founder of Mighty Fine Burgers, Fries, and Shakes, and licensee for all Austin-area Rudy's Country Store and Barbecue Restaurants. We sit down at his company's corporate headquarters and talk about his early days in the insurance business, how he met his business partner in the formation of K&N Management, the decision to open the second ever Rudy's Country Store and Barbecue Restaurant, parlaying that success into the original concept of Mighty Fine Burgers, Fries, and Shakes, and how he went from selling his insurance company to running one of the most successful restaurant groups in all of Texas. Enjoy. All right, so I'm sitting here with Ken Schiller. He's the co-founder of k Management, which is... I guess it's kind of the licensee for all the Rudy's here in Austin, and then you also co-own Mighty Fine Burgers, Fries, and Shakes here in Austin? Uh, that's correct. Cannon Management is the licensee for the Austin area, Rudy's Country Store and Barbecues, and then also the creator, owner, and operator of Mighty Fine Burgers, Fries, and Shakes. Okay, very cool. And so we're actually sitting here in the big conference room of the kind of the corporate office of Rudy's, correct? And right across the street, we're looking at it right now, is the very first Austin location that you opened. Um, Super busy restaurant, very popular, and uh, you actually ended up opening four more, but this is the first one, right? That's correct. This is our first Rudy's and the first Rudy's in Austin. Uh, Again, opened back in 94 uh, under K&N Management, which I'm the K and my business partner is the N. So how did y'all, you know, so you met Brian Nolan, y'all were in the Air Force together, right? Or Air Force Academy type thing? What was that? We were actually just in college okay. uh, pursuing a degree in aviation, okay. which is basically a degree to become a professional pilot. And we both ultimately had goals of becoming airline pilots. Uh, so that's where we met. Uh, he was from the DFW area. I grew up in a small town. And now that's, that's where we initially became friends. And so y'all, y'all knew each other then, and your goal was kind of to become an airline pilot, correct? And you said that's when all the airlines were going under, so you had to think of a different career strategy. Right. Around the time I got out of school, a lot of airlines had uh, came up on hard times and, and bankruptcy. Uh, Braniff Airlines, Eastern, uh, Pan Am, TWA. Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, there was furloughed airline pilots, you know, everywhere. Okay. And it was very tough coming out of college to try to get a flight job competing with all these other out-of-work pilots. So I uh, decided I had to reinvent myself, had a lot of student loans, had to get income coming in, and I decided to go into the commercial insurance business. And I always tell people I've never met anybody that intentionally planned to get into (laughs) insurance. You end up in it because something else didn't work out. Right. But it, uh, it attracted me because it was a, an unlimited income opportunity. Mm-hmm. And what it ended up being, even though I didn't realize it at the time, is a really great way to learn 
what works and what doesn't work in business best practices because I worked with hundreds of companies from all industries, all sizes, with their senior leadership as uh, a risk management consultant. And you, you begin to see patterns over time between the highly successful organizations, mediocre, and then, and then ones that uh, don't succeed. So I was able to have a bird's eye seat yeah, yeah. Uh, to that over the years and was able to take what I saw work and apply it to Canon management when that was launched. And had a lot of clients actually in the restaurant business and working with them is what got me interested into getting into it myself. And I knew I didn't want to be in insurance all my life. Right. So uh, myself and, and Brian had started a commercial agency here in Austin, built it up to uh, the fifth largest agency of nationwide insurance at the time and decided we were going to sell that agency and put all that money into the Rudy's roll of dice, and fortunately it, it worked out for so us. So you were doing well in the insurance business. You just decided ultimately, and I guess he kind of decided too, that that's just not something you wanted to do long term? Yeah, we were, we were doing very well financially, better than we ever expected to do, but it's, uh, it's hard to do something that you're not passionate about for, you know, when you're thinking about your whole life ahead, e even if you are doing well financially, and we were young enough to where if, if this wouldn't have worked, that we could start over and, you know, do it all over again. So you sold that business. Right. You decided to start K&N, and with the whole goal of opening Rudy's here in Austin, that was kind of the re the, the mindset behind K&N, I guess, going into it? That's that's correct. We looked at a lot of different restaurant concepts and, and even some other things outside of the restaurant industry, and over a period of a couple of years, I settled on that Rudy's was, was what we were going to go with. And how big was Rudy's at the time? How many locations did they have? I know they have about, what, 45 now? Right. Um, but where were they at at the time? This was the, the early 90s? At the time, there was only one, the original one in Leon Springs, which oh, was wow. outside of San Antonio. Okay. And then they were about to build a second one in Louisville, Texas, which actually opened before we did. But uh, we were the third Rudy's to open. And how did you know this? System. Did you, I mean, had you been to Rudy's? Did you know this concept was something that was just going to take off or... You know, what, what made you decide on that? I mean, that's kind of, I didn't realize you were that early in on right. the brand. Well, we, we certainly didn't know. We, uh, we thought it was an intelligent risk and, you know, put a lot of research into it. But, of course, it's, uh, it, we knew there was that possibility that it wouldn't work, especially being that new. But it was unique. Uh, it had multiple profit centers to it. It was uh, founded by Phil Romano, who had a very successful track record with, with other concepts. Okay. And we, were, we liked the simplicity of the operation compared to a full-service restaurant with chefs and a large menu that is constantly changing with specials. And, right. Uh, you know, our, our menu is essentially the same today as when we open the doors. And you said it's been, I mean, it's cooked... Everything is kind of made the same and prepared the same that it's been done for, you know, 50 years or something. Right. I mean, we're constantly looking at how we can improve processes or right. efficiencies, but the core recipes are, are still the same. We cook everything fresh in each restaurant. 
And I'm, I'm not at all meaning to say it's easy. Uh, there is some art involved with barbecue. It's Definitely. not all science. But what I think one of the keys to our success has been is we're, we're very consistent, okay. especially when you consider how many, how many guests we serve on a daily basis. I think you see that across the board. Before I even knew that I was interviewing you, um, a buddy of mine who owns a burger restaurant, he's opening up a, a pizza kind of taproom restaurant as well. We were talking about kind of just best barbecue in Texas in general. And I said out of the larger barbecue restaurants, and I'm not going to name every one that I named because they didn't get very uh, good marked from him. And I was like, which yeah. one do you think is the best of the ones that have quite a few locations? Because that has to be a hard thing to replicate. Honestly, barbecue is a very right. specific way. The way you cook it, it's hard. And uh, right off the bat, he was like, Rudy's, hands down, is, is the best place in, in, in Texas, in my opinion. And I guarantee you, he's talking about the ones here in Austin because that's where he comes. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I just think you all have a great reputation for that consistency that's very yeah. hard to replicate in barbecue. Well, that's uh, it's great to hear. You know, when, you, when you're part of a, a brand that has multiple locations, you, you do fall to some, a lot of prejudice uh, that people are going to have versus a single location or a food trailer, or, yeah. you know, the quote, chain way of thinking, even yeah. though... You know, we're locally owned here in Austin. Many people think of us as a chain and are automatically biased. So uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, well, I think people can get a bad taste in their mouth because of experiences they've had at chains that aren't run properly. Right. And you know what I mean? I feel like y'all are, are doing the right thing with, with that type of restaurant. So I think it's great. So first, Rudy's, the one we're sitting at, opened up in 1994. Right. Um, what was the initial reception like? I mean, I didn't realize, but like you said, it was. so this was the third one in, I mean, period. Yes, in, in the whole system at the time. It was, uh, it was good. It, it was not phenomenal. I, one thing I'll never forget is about two weeks after we'd opened, I was standing in the front of the restaurant because uh, Brian and I both worked in the, in the restaurant at the time. And an older gentleman came in, and he just started looking around. And uh, he said, do you own this place? And I, I said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, barbecue and gas, you won't be here in a year. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was sobering to hear. It was something you had your life savings in, uh. and you had to either make work or face bankruptcy. So, you know, to this day I remember that, and I'm very uh, happy that we proved him wrong. So what do you think you said reception was good, but it wasn't just, you know, lying out, you know, around the building. Uh, what what kind of things did you do to, to maybe change, you know, because now I think people hear Rudy's and you opened up the third Rudy's and the first one here in Austin and people think, oh man, this guy's sitting on a gold mine, don't even know it. Right. What, what you know, did, did the customer base eventually just show up or did you have to make changes? I know with K&N, and we're going to get into that a little bit, but you're, the way you set up systems and processes is kind of yeah. unparalleled uh, in your, your kind of business management. Uh, as an owner operator and, and did so is that kind of the things you started to learn that you need to get things streamlined a lot more and just like the product at a higher yeah. level or did the customers just kind of come naturally well it was it wasn't one thing of course we had a lot to learn and and we're making improvements as fast as you know we had the knowledge to do it and, and we're still doing that today but I think our key was the discipline to stay the course and stay true to who we are and not immediately think, well, we better change this, we better change right. that. Uh, we just had to let people become more aware of who we are to order by weight, for example, instead yeah. of a plate, to eat on butcher paper instead of a real plate, the gas right. station piece of it. Uh, one significant factor is 
CBS, the KI affiliate here, had a best barbecue in Austin nice. contest, and we actually ended up winning that. And uh, when, when we did, that gave us a lot of name recognition and notoriety and really accelerated uh, our business in um, just a lot of a lot more talk about our brand and, and then it never really turned back from there who was some of your competition at the time in the early 90s i mean i you know franklin's wasn't around uh you know a lot of those places it was mainly county line okay uh pokey joe's and ironworks salt lick any of those places salt lick was around but they were so far away yeah that i, I guess you you know you would call them competition but not uh what we'd put in our top two or three Bill because Miller's of geography. The, they were here, but they uh, they really go after a different segment of the market than, than we do. Okay. And I wanted to ask about, because you, you were essentially, were you franchising at the time? I mean, you were the third one, so you were a franchisee, I guess. Yeah, originally we started out as a traditional franchisee that paid royalty and, okay. uh, you know, we're, we're going to receive corporate support. And uh, through a series of different ownership changes and the support not being delivered as promised, we were able to negotiate a revised agreement, which is really more of a license agreement where we stop paying royalty okay. and we have the rights to the brand in our geographic area, which is basically Georgetown to San Marcos, Bastrop to Marble Falls. So you have a prime prime region basically to where you can there's five right now but you could do essentially whatever you want now right as that's long as you like you were saying as long as it doesn't inhibit or hurt the brand of rudy's um, right and i guess there's a way to establish that but yeah. you've been doing it long enough to where i don't think they're worried about that right um yeah so you have some leeway way a lot more leeway than your traditional franchisee would have yes we have more leeway and uh but then we also don't get corporate support right how long into the first restaurant you had this one going? Was this one going a couple of years before you decided, you know, you wanted to start number two? Um, and was that always the plan to, to do more than one restaurant? Yeah, initially we planned to do at least three. Okay. And uh, then just kind of evaluate from there. And, of course, the growth of Austin allowed us to. That is true. You know, we're at five now as the, the city's grown. And, uh, you know, should have room for a couple of more. Okay. In the future. When you opened up that, you know, a lot of people say the second one is the real test when you open up that second restaurant. Um, how far is it from, where, where's the, where was the second one located? It's on Loop 360. Okay. Uh, around Barton Creek Mall. Okay. If you know that area. And did you have a lot of your systems and stuff like that in place by the time you opened up that one? Were you, were you ready for the traffic and everything when it hit? Yeah, I, I would say so. We... We had a lot more systems in place than a typical company just going to their second restaurant. Now, we have way more today than we had then, but we uh, we always had the belief that you need to keep the shoe bigger than the foot. Right. And uh, typically, you don't see that happen. You see people always trying to play catch up. And I recall in those early days telling people constantly, we've, we've got to act like who we're going to become, not who we are today. Okay. And we invested in the infrastructure before we really needed it so we could then grow into it instead of the reverse. Okay. And I know you, you've talked about your hiring process and, and your kind of redeploying process um, and kind of having to, that was a learning curve early on for you. Um, 
but you spend a lot of time and you, you, I guess the way you put it in the past is you, you hire slowly, fire yeah, quickly we, if you need to. Yeah, we, we hire slowly and, and fire fast. Uh, it doesn't mean we're ruthless and that we just fire people for no reason. It doesn't mean you like doing it. But no, yeah. of course we coach people, give them a chance to, you know, improve. But if, if somebody's not the right fit here and they can't be an A player, the first thing we do is ask, well, is there a different position that they, they could fit? If, if the answer is yes, we move them into that new position. Okay. If the answer is no, then yes, we, uh, we send them on their way, and it's better for us and them because it's, it's really immoral to keep somebody in an organization where they can't excel and right. can't be a contributor. It's not good for the company, the coworkers, and ultimately the person. Do you find it's better to just be direct about those situations and not, you know, tiptoe around it? Yeah, it, it should never take more than 15 minutes if, yeah. if you're going to terminate someone. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just beating around the bush because yeah. you don't want to tell them. And uh, they, they need you to be direct, and nobody benefits from drawing it out. Were you always good? You know, so I feel like sometimes, you know, I'm a, I'm a business owner. A lot of our listeners are business owners. Um, and even for experienced business owners, that's a very difficult part of the job and trying to evaluate who's an asset and who's, you know, slowing you down a little bit and, and then yeah. making that big decision. Was that hard for you at first or were you always just kind of a natural at that? I was maybe uh, more suited than, than most because I'm just a real direct, pragmatic person. But it's uh, of course it's tough if you know when you're you're cutting off someone's paycheck, especially they might have a family. And but if, if you're doing things right, it shouldn't really come as a surprise to them. Okay. And and most of the time they leave on their own before it comes to that, if if you handle it appropriately, and and give them continual candid feedback. Okay. And. So as we mentioned earlier, you're known as K&N and Rudy's, and we're about to get into Mighty Fine. Um, you're known for your incredible level of customer service, great employees, like you said, hiring slow, well thought out systems. Um, and you kind of took all that information that you'd gotten from, from running Rudy's and then even, like you said, as a bird's eye view with the insurance years earlier. And in 2007, <clears throat> you and Brian set out uh, on a new food venture, and that's Mighty Fine Burgers, Fries, and Shakes here in Austin, Texas. Uh, that was your first original concept that y'all created. Talk about the motivation for, behind that a little bit. Why burgers? Did you see some white space in the in the yeah. Austin market here? And yeah, just talk about that a little bit. Okay. And b before I answer that, I left a big piece out of uh, evolving our operational excellence, and that that would be when we. Uh, engaged with the Malcolm Baldridge framework, okay. and then then ultimately became the second restaurant ever to win the Baldridge Award. So you you may want to come back to that because that was maybe the most significant. Yeah, don't uh, talk about that right now. Yeah, that's okay. great. <clears throat> um, a lot of people aren't familiar with Malcolm Baldridge. Some are. It's uh, an award created by Ronald Reagan. was named after the late Senator Malcolm Baldridge back in 1982. And at the time, it was designed to try to help American business become more competitive with Japan, okay. who was eating our lunch, yeah. especially in manufacturing. And it's, uh, it, it's a framework created for any type of organization uh, any industry, really any size, on how to uh, achieve what you decide 
excellence looks like for you. Okay. It, it's not prescriptive. It doesn't tell you how to run your business, but it's a framework where once you decide what you want to do, what your goals are, it's a way of how do you accomplish it the soonest way that's, that's practical. Okay. And uh, we got involved when I read an article about the first restaurant that won called Powell's Sudden Service, okay. which is up in, in the Tennessee area. And I uh, got intrigued by what was written about them, decided to take a trip up and visit with them. Wow. We did. And uh, ultimately, over a, a period of years, took 14 trips up because we were so blown away with with their operation and what they'd achieved. What were they doing that was different from other places? Uh, everything. Their their level of cleanliness, their speed of service, the type of people, their culture, their measures. Uh, I, I remember one thing was they, they armor all the lids on their dumpster. Right. And I remember asking, you know, well, why would you do that? And they said, well, you know, there's people coming through the drive-through that see the tops of those dumpsters. Yeah. Another thing was <laughs> they don't they don't use speakers. They're drive-through only, but a person takes your order. No way. Uh, not you don't order it through a speaker, and they they just blow any of their competitors away in in revenue and customer satisfaction and quality. Uh, for example, their, their bussers have to speak English. So you would think, well, why does that matter? You're a drive-through, nobody's coming inside, and there's other, they can communicate it has nothing you know, internally. Yet. And they said, well, one could be taking the trash out and a car be coming around and ask one of them a question. Right. And it's just that. They think of all the tiny little yeah. details that other places say, that doesn't matter. Right. And they do matter. Yeah, and it's uh, what I would say sets us and people like Powell's apart. If I had to just pick one thing, we think long term. We don't think how are we going to make the most profit this quarter or, or even this year. And we're not just focused on budgets that, that we have to hit this budget. We can't get that repaired because there's no money left in the repair and maintenance budget. We right. focus on operational excellence, executing our key business drivers you see on the wall. And we believe if we, if we focus there and our, our culture and our people are bought into that and they're incentivized to that, not to profit or sales or low labor or low food costs, right. that that will actually result in more profit. In, and, in and the it, long term. And, and it has. Wow. But very few companies are willing to think that way, especially if they're public or you know, or they have venture capital. It's like, no, we gotta we gotta focus everything on the short term and you end up with mediocrity that way. I think it takes a really disciplined uh, structure to kind of be able to do that. And like you said, because you're a private company, you answer yeah. to yourself pretty much. Yeah. Nothing we do is rocket science, yeah. but it is everything we do is about discipline. That's awesome. Uh, so, around what time were you going up there making those trips? Because you won the award, you won the award in 2010, and we can yeah. so we can talk about uh, that. But you were going up there and learning from them. Yeah, we started out. going up in uh, 2001. Okay, and that's kind of around when they won. I take it they they had won in 2000, 
And initially, we never thought we were going to win the award or even apply for it. We were just benchmarking them, trying to learn, thinking, well, you know, if just a little bit of, of how they operate, we could implement it. It would have huge benefits. But just over time, it, you know, we got to a, a level I didn't think we'd ever get to in the beginning. Wow. And so eventually you did win the award in 2010. You have to apply for it. You won it. Um, yeah. You were only the, aside from this other restaurant <laughs> in Tennessee, you were the second one to win it. Yeah, and, and still are. Uh, we were the first company in Austin to ever win it. There's since been a second one, uh, St. David's Hospital System. But it's, I believe it's 107 companies in the whole history of the award wow. that have been a recipient. It's, it's given at the presidential level. Wow. You go to Washington, D.C., uh, you know, it's presented by the president's so office. It's a big so, deal. I've never heard of anything like that being that big of a deal. No, it's uh, it's by far the biggest deal that's ever happened to us. How'd it feel? Almost surreal. Wow. Almost uh, like I, I just can't believe this is happening. And does your partner feel the same way you do about systems yeah. and all that? I mean, y'all are just always kind of, at least with that part on the same page. Yeah, no, no doubt, because if we weren't, uh, this we wouldn't be where we are today. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, so let's get back to talk about uh, talking about Mighty Fine. Uh, so yeah, that was in 2007. What y'all had just have a conversation and say, well, this Rudy thing's going well, so why don't we yeah. why don't we try this uh, burger thing out? I mean, how did that whole conversation start, and how did you just move forward with that? Yeah, we we knew we wanted a second growth vehicle. Uh, we could only do so many Rudy's, and and you know whether it's a Rudy's or a Mighty Fine. Our growth is driven by when we can find the right location. Right. You know, we we grow at the speed of right is defined by us of what right is. And we're never going to say, okay, by this time we will open another location. Yeah, we will if all the pieces fall into place. Mm -hmm. If they don't, well, then we're going to wait until they do. And by having a, a second brand, it, it gave us... A, two ways to grow instead of just being reliant upon Rudy's. <clears throat> we wanted something with a similar price point, a similar service style, meaning counter service, something that everything you see on the wall there could apply to both brands, same mission, vision, key business drivers, culture. We wanted to be able to interchange uh, people. We wanted to be able to have one meeting with with our senior leaders oh, as opposed cool. to having everything segmented between yeah. the two brands okay so that's that's what really drove why mighty fine is is what it is and kind of you know so high quality ingredients is a big part of it right uh, y'all kind of grind and form uh, the burgers there every single day and things like yeah. that um the menu is relatively simple kind of like rudy's yeah, yeah, it's even it's even simpler than, than it Rudy's. It's, it, I mean, it's extremely it's, simple, I mean, which it, takes discipline too. I mean, it's a couple of types of burgers, right? And then you know, two sizes of burgers. Uh, we have a chicken sandwich and a, a hot dog. And did you dog. did you kind of see white space in the market? Is that why you wanted to go for burgers, or you just like burgers and thought you know we're doing barbecue? Yeah. I think burgers can do well. It it was some of each. I, I really do love burgers. I do. Absolutely, it's my favorite meal. And the, what's known as now as the Better Burger space was just kind of in its infancy. That is true. Time. P. Terry's had just opened up in yeah. 2005, I believe, and uh, Hop Dotty wasn't around yet. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, so you were right there. Kind of Five the beginning Guys of that. was just kind of getting started. Yep. 
we intentionally didn't do a drive-through. Um, we, we focused everything on quality. We set up a test kitchen that we had for 10 months that simulated what, how we envisioned a mighty fine and our thinking was we want to have the best burger, fries, and shakes that can be produced and let's don't worry about what that's going to cost. Okay. Let's just produce it and then we'll go back and figure out, okay, can we sell this at a price people will pay and that we can make a reasonable profit on? Okay. So that's the approach and mindset we took to it. And uh, we, we didn't change anything as far as quality goes. Wow. We set the price and people are willing to pay it. And uh, of course, we try to be a good value, but that's that's all in the the mind of the consumer. Uh, there's less expensive burgers, there's more expensive burgers, right. but I don't believe you can find one of our quality for the same or less money. And what kind of beef are y'all using? And some of, some of that, you know, what's what what kind of sets the mighty fine burger apart? Yeah, we use an all natural uh, roast chuck, as you mentioned. That we do grind in each restaurant every day, That's awesome. and then hand form each patty. Wow! And then you also do, uh, I'm assuming, kind of hand cut fries, and then you do uh, milkshakes. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's kind of the in in the name. Yeah, our fries. Uh, you know, when we when we were looking at okay, what's the best fry? You've got people in one camp that say, "Man, a crinkle cut fry." There's, you know, that's the best right. fry. And then other people, you would say, "No, it's got to be fresh cooked. It can't be frozen." And you couldn't. There, there was nobody, and I don't know of anybody today that's doing a fresh cut crinkle cut fry. Okay. Because you have to buy a thirty-eight thousand dollar machine to, to, say, to, to crimp crinkle it. a yeah. potato. And uh, this is a machine really more that's designed for more like a potato chip factory or something. Okay. Uh, it's way more than what we need, but we have one in each restaurant so we can produce a fresh cut, crinkle cut. You have one fry. of those machines in each restaurant. Right. $38,000 machine that you put in each restaurant to yeah. crink, just to crinkle the fries. Right. And they're, they're more than that now. That's our first one cost that. I think they're up around 50 now. So what... what I am curious, you know, because people are very religious about their French fries. I feel like crinkled fries are more difficult to find. Um, right. Is that one of the reasons you decided to do it? Because not, not that many people were doing it. And then, you know, I'll go back a million. There's a place right by my house in San Antonio called Burger Boy. And yep. they've done, you know, you might have heard of them. They've been doing crinkle cut fries yep. for a while. Um, and I just love them. They're just yep. great. And, yeah, I mean, do people just come back for the fries, I would take it? Yeah, they, they do. I I don't know if it's as much as the burgers, but, right. but it's definitely probably gets about as much talk as, as anything in the restaurant. And then you get into, okay, the size of the fry. Yeah. And we, we did a lot of focus groups during that 10-month test kitchen, and we, we picked the size that pleased the, the largest group of the population, which is, is kind of in between a shoestring fry and right. a steak fry. Oh man, you're making me hungry. Um, so where, where was the first location? You just, you know, you did all this focus grouping. You had the menu kind of ready to go. Uh, where, where'd you open up the first Mighty Fine? It's in what's called the Arbor Walk Center yeah. at Breaker Lane and Mopac. Yeah. Um, and how how did it do? It did. It did great. I, I mean, it's one that from the day we opened the doors, it was it was just insane. We had people lined up all the way down the sidewalk really but we uh you know we were ready we we heard over and over where are you from 
how many locations do you have? And when we tell people we're from Austin, this is our first location, they literally wouldn't believe they us. They couldn't believe it, yeah. Because they said it, it's too systemized, yeah. it's, it's running too smooth yeah. for that to be able to be true. So, I mean, be, like, like you had said, you had taken all that experience from, you've been doing this restaurant stuff for a while, so you knew, right. and even on a larger scale, Rudy's is like a big time operation, and that's yeah. a hard thing to run. So you're going even almost smaller scale, yeah, um, a little bit to mighty fine. Uh, still a lot of moving parts there, but but yeah, I'm sure you were able to just kind of swoop in there and and, and implement yeah. these systems that you already had and just g- keep that well oil machine running. Yeah, we were able to leverage all of the talent we have here in in creating the, the brand in and then opening and executing that store. And y'all train all of your employees. I mean, you walk into a mighty fine, you walk into a Rudy's, you're greeted when you leave. People are saying bye to you. Um, right. They engage you if you're waiting at all, things like that. I mean, your your employees are kind of highly trained. It seems like they're well paid as well um, yeah. to to engage the customer in that way, make sure that they feel. Um, and you don't even call them customers; you call them guests, right. correct? Uh, just to make sure yeah. that they feel welcome at all times. No, that's that's you know, if I had to pick one thing that's been our our key, it's I would say it's our people, probably even more than our food. You know, I always think of my most important job as an owner is to identify, recruit, and retain the best talent. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's kind of like a, a sports team, say a football yeah. team. You know, you can have the best coach, you can have the, the newest stadium, you know, great uniforms. Uh, you know, you may even have the best game plan, but if you don't have the best players, you're still probably going to lose the game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no different in business. So we, as you mentioned, we pay over market. We were giving everybody full benefits long before the law said we had to. Yeah. Our turnover is about a third of what the industry is, uh-huh. even down at the, the hourly level. And, uh, yeah, we're very, very people focused. When you were actually voted, was this 2010? <clears throat> um, I remember reading that you were voted, you know, Austin's best place to work. Right. Okay. And was that K&N or was that Mighty Fine or was it just the whole company? It was the whole company, K&N. Yeah. So people just yeah. like like working here. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so Mighty Fine was killing it right off the bat. Yeah. Um, so you were seeing that success. When when did you decide to open up number two? But fairly rapidly, uh, within about six months of, of Arbor Walk, we opened the location in Sunset Valley. About a year later, we opened the one in Round Rock. Okay. And then I guess about two years after that, we, we opened Cedar Park. And you have a trailer as well, right? Yeah, we have a trailer that's out at Four Points, which is the intersection of 620 and 2222. And does that have the same menu as the other locations? Is it more limited? How does that work? It has essentially the, the same menu. In fact, when I say essentially, um, I can't – no, it's the same menu. And how do you, you kind of talked about this briefly, but you say, you know, you'd open multiple Rudy's and you've opened multiple Mighty Vines. Um, how do you strategize that growth a little bit? Do you, you just wait until you think the opportunity is right uh, to do it? Because I'm assuming now, like we've talked about with the systems that you have in place, it's relatively easy for you to open up yeah. um, a new location. I mean, the greatest challenge now is, is finding a location that's not going to cannibalize our existing stores right. more than what our comfort level would be. Right. Um, and that's, I guess, a good problem to have. 
once you get past that point, it's really hard to find a Rudy's location because we, we have to have a lot of parking. It's so true, yeah. Uh, ideally, we want to sell gas, even though on the Lamar store we, we don't. So it's they don't all the, sell gas, but you'd like them to? Yeah. If, all but one uh, sells gas, and okay. the, the one that doesn't is our newest one, just because there was just no way to put it on the piece of the footprint of the piece of real estate, but it was in such a highly desirable part of town and it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to get right. there that that we did it without the gas so but generally speaking you do need a big plot i mean how many acres are we sitting on right now about two acres yeah so you need yeah. a lot more than than your traditional yeah kind of restaurant so yeah rudy's probably takes a little bit more time to tinker with that and then you know if you want to open a mighty fine right. You could do that a lot of places. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's competitive too, even for end cap space and a center, but it's much easier for a mighty fine. Well, and you know, with one aspect with Rudy's, like you said, you're a little bit constrained into where you can open. You have this area, and you have to do it within there. But with mighty fine, you can go anywhere. Right. Um, are there talks of you know moving up the highway a little bit and going into different towns and different markets, or is that still early on? Uh, there's there's definitely discussion. A few years back, we seriously looked at possibly franchising Mighty Fine just because we were having so much unsolicited interest from very experienced, well-qualified operations that we had to look at it. And I had a consultant involved really went through a formal lengthy process and ultimately decided the time wasn't wasn't right we okay. knew we wanted to continue to improve things more and we weren't sure if we had the really the personality to to be a franchisor kind of the the best way i've been able to put it is a franchisee is almost like a spouse you know you're in that type of relationship with them right and it, you know you get 50 or 100 spouses there's going to be divorces oh yeah and it's that's not real pleasant to come to work every day and and deal with conflict or somebody wanting to get a divorce and no matter how much you screen people and how careful you are just the law of numbers is going to dictate that some of that's going to occur it's a lot of things that people don't think about. They're looking at it from the outside and just saying, yeah, oh, they, why don't they franchise? Why don't they? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot, right. of, a lot of things, and it's just making your life simpler to yeah. do it the way you're doing it. So, I mean, you're pretty much co-owner with, with right. Brian. Yeah. Are there any other investors or owners? It's just you guys? No, it's, it's just the two of us. Uh, as far as going into other cities with corporate stores, it's a possibility. Uh, the challenge with it, it's probably the biggest decision any brand will make. It would, would be to leave their home market, but it's even bigger for us because we do all our own maintenance in-house. We do all our own IT in-house. Right. We hire all the employees at this central office for all the restaurants so right. they don't have to do it in the stores. So to go into another market, we would have to go in with all that infrastructure or change the way we operate, which we probably you wouldn't want to do because that. that's yeah. a part of why we've achieved what we've achieved and even like you know getting the beef and stuff like that that could be harder if you were to move into a completely separate market that was further away uh, maybe maybe a little bit okay. that probably wouldn't be a big issue it's just all our our internal infrastructure that in this case is set up to support 10 stores 
you'd have to go into a market prepared to open, say, at least five in a relatively short period of time so you could support that infrastructure. Right. Which takes, you know, takes a lot of capital. And, uh, you know, the econ economic times have not been as certain, you know, in the right. past 10 years or so as, right. as maybe historically. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, you, you have to do proper risk management. So these are conversations that do occur and they're happening, but yes. there's no set timetable. Right. We're going to be in Denton, Texas. We're going to be in San Antonio right. or anything That's like correct. that. That's cool, man. So what else is on the horizon for, for you guys? You and Brian came in. Um, we just talked about possibly, uh, you know, doing some more Mighty Fines elsewhere and uh, looking to open more Rudy's. Do you have any other concepts maybe in the works that you're looking at? Or are you just kind of streamlining all of your processes and your systems yeah. and just kind of living life? We have one concept that's in the very early stages it's just being talked about brainstormed a little bit nothing officially decided that would be another counter service similar ticket average again that would fit in with our current culture and infrastructure but our our main focus is always going to be improving and getting better that's okay. that's who that's our dna that's who we are how many employees do you have right now Around 600. 600, wow. The article I read said 450, so that's, <laughs> it's changing every year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, five locations for Modifying, uh, five locations for Rudy's. Right. Um, yeah, man, that, that's crazy. Just moving that up. When, when you're not working, uh, which might not be often, I don't know, but when you get a chance to actually chill and kind of relax, you live in a really cool city. You, do you live in Austin? Yes, you I live do. here. Yeah. What a. What are some things you like to do? Do you, do you like to go out on the lake? Do you like to go to some restaurants, bars, favorite spots you want to give a shout out to, anything like that? Yeah, I like, uh, you know, I like music, concerts. Yeah, I love checking out other restaurants, traveling. I guess I, I don't have a single focus hobby to the degree most people might, like golf or hunting or UT football. I, closest I would have is probably cars. I, okay. I spend a lot more money getting getting from point A to point B than what I have to. Yeah. But it's because I get a lot of lot of enjoyment out of, you know, performance cars. You mentioned traveling briefly. I'm always curious when I talk to somebody like you. So you own a successful burger uh, chain kind of and, and, and then uh, Rudy's obviously, which is very successful. When you travel around, maybe you go out to California, or Chicago, or Milwaukee, somewhere like that. Do you always look for like comparable businesses and see, you know, what are these guys doing? And you know, can we do we live yeah. up to their standards and things like that? Are there any places like that when you go out of town that you just really no, like? I I do that a hundred percent of the time. If I'm going somewhere, I I do some research ahead of time, and I'm asking people, huh. okay, what's the best burger in town? What's the newest, hottest, hip? concept or restaurant in town and uh, no that's and that's common in the industry you you know a lot of ideas are, are spurred from looking at something somebody else has done and then tweaking it to you know to what works in your case and I, I know you know there's always people looking at us oh definitely yeah so you're a fan of the the food aspect of it but you're a fan of the business the business side of it too and just you know right what's the next new thing and the wheels are always turning and what could yeah. we possibly do next or add to our menu or make a little change to be a little bit better? Yeah. All, and we, all uh, evolving. You know, since winning the Baldridge Award, we've, uh, we started doing outside learning sessions because it's, it's kind of an expectation of accepting the award is to share your best practices and, and 
be an ambassador to help other businesses improve. Right. And we don't, it's not a profit center, but we have companies come from all over the United States, some even international. One group had to even bring their own interpreters that huh. will come in and spend a couple of days uh, doing a, a formal program that we do here and then go back and uh, hopefully be able to apply it to their company. Exactly. After winning that award, I'm assuming that you were, like you were saying, you're, you're deemed as a foremost. You're considered a role model. Yeah. That's how they would define it. But even you individually, do you do speaking engagements and things like that? Do, do, yeah. do you go on the road, I, uh, do some of that stuff? I don't do as much as I used to because right after winning the award, you're just, you're just inundated oh, yeah. with requests. You can't even it. do them all. But uh, no, I, I still do some. I've got two coming up between now and the end of the year. Okay. And uh, so I, I don't seek them out. I'm not on the speakers bureau or anything like that. But if if somebody approaches me and I and it aligns with what I feel I could, you know, bring value to the conversation, I'll try to do it. And what kind of your day to day like? You know, I think a lot of people look at someone like you and they say, "God, this guy is just." had a ton of success in the industry and uh, he could kind of chill and relax if he wants to. What's kind of your, you slow down a little bit? Do you like to still keep an eye on everything or are you just kind of going full throttle 100% still? I would say uh, my role has changed some and I, I don't work as many hours as I used to. The, the key to being able to, I guess, more pick and choose what you do is, is who the people are in your organization. Do you trust them? Do they trust each other? We've never had turnover at what we call a senior leadership level. Mm -hmm. Most of them have been here 20 plus years, all of them, the, the lowest ones 13 years. Wow. And that having that team is not only great for the organization, it's great for Brian and I. So we, uh, we try to always hire people smarter than we are, give them the resources the and tools they need, and then, and then let them do what they do. And I consider my job more to create a vision, you know, drive that vision, drive improvement, benchmarking, strategic planning. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of uh, potential entrepreneurs, people that hopefully want to open up their own burger restaurant or any sort of restaurant one day. What's one piece of advice you would give someone that's listening to the podcast that's maybe just hoping to kind of start their career and invest their money and do something with that? Make a, a fact-based decision. Do not let emotion take, take you over, which is very common. Uh, I, I just want to do this. I desire to do it. I know mm -hmm. I can make it happen. I'll do whatever I have to. Well, that's, that's great, but that's not enough. If you don't have enough capital you're going to lose whatever capital you have and fail. And that's the two biggest things I see that cause people to fail is they don't have enough money because it always takes way more than you think it will. Yes. And then they don't think long term. They're just not disciplined enough to do that. So, don't, you know, it's nice to have a passion, but don't just let your passions drive you. Right. For example, of... somebody might say, well, I, you know, I cook out at my house. My neighbors right. say this is great. They love the food. I love doing it. So I'd be perfect to get in the restaurant business. Right. Not necessarily. Right. I'm, I'm not a chef. I'm not a foodie. I don't cook out a lot at home. I'm a business guy. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you 
imparting your knowledge on on our listeners and the podcast and having me out here and chatting with me because you're one of we got a twofer on this one we got rudy's and we got mighty fine uh, burgers <laughs> fries and shakes and i'm i think our audience is really gonna love this and to, you know i hope they heed your advice man i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me and uh, it's my pleasure all right Thanks for listening to Building Something Out of Nothing. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you can email me at ed, that's ed6238, at gmail.com. As always, you can visit either one of our locations seven days a week. Our roastery and first location is over at Warehouse 5 at 1333 Buena Vista Street. If you'd like to serve Shotgun House coffee roasters in your restaurant, cafe, or office, shoot us a quick email at orders at shotgunhouseroasters.com or contact me anytime at 254-913-9031. Our intro music is provided by the Delicate Boys from Austin, Texas. You can find this song and their entire album on Spotify. Thanks.